I'm just reminded I promised to take my young ward, Dick Grayson, fishing, if you'll excuse me. Biff, bam, pow, it's time for another Batman land. Our weekly chat about the 1966 Batman TV show. There's a problem. Better let us handle this. Each week we are joined by a guest. I don't know who he is behind that mask of his, but I do know when we need him. It's Batman! We need him now. Where we discuss the Batman episodes to air this week on SBS Viceland. My name, it's Dan Barrett, billionaire playboy and a digital editor at SBS. Let's go! This week I'm joined by the hero that Batman Land needs, Nick Bassine. Nick, how you doing? Pleasure to be here. And also, we're joined by the hero that Batman Land deserves, Fiona Williams. Why, thank you. Hello. Now, we're doing things slightly different this week in that we don't have a guest in from the outside world to talk about their love of Batman. Rather, we're just sticking it to the main crew, the Batman dynamic duo of Bassine, Williams, and I guess I'm the Alfred Pennyworth of the group. Or am I the Harriet? You've got a little bit of the Harriets. Yeah. I think you're the Chief O'Hara. I mean, it's kind of like people want to be O'Hara. But I think really they're a Harriet. <laughs> Maybe just an insight into old Dan Barrett here. But the reason why we're just doing it ourselves is this was the season finale of Batman. And so we thought that maybe we'd take this opportunity to look back at the season to a certain degree, decide what it was that we liked about the show, what it was that Batman taught us throughout the season. But fear not, nah, fans of Batman and the dynamic duo, the show will be back next week. So it's not like this is the end. It's just, you know, we're marking this as an occasion, a midpoint throughout the run of Batman. There's still a lot of episodes to go. A lot of Batman episodes to come. But anyway, guys, we are talking about some Penguin-based episodes. And when I see the Penguin, I get a little bit nervous because Burgess Meredith, as much as I really like Burgess Meredith, I sometimes find the Penguin episodes not quite to my tastes. There's always, like, great moments. But I have to say that of all the Penguin episodes so far, this is the one that really stood out to me. I really... I mean, I didn't love these episodes, but I kind of thought it was a nice, coherent two episodes that had a few good moments in there. What, what is your stance on, on Danny DeVito Penguin versus this Penguin versus whatever you think from the comics? Uh, well, I really like the film Batman Returns. It's probably my favorite Batman movie. I mean, The Dark Knight, I think, is a great movie, but as a Batman film, I think Returns is the one that sort of ticks all my boxes. Um, and I really like Danny DeVito in that. Like, he does... He's so gross and such a vile creature. And tragic. And really tragic. Like, there's yeah. nothing about that that doesn't really quite sort of work for me. Um, so I really like that. Burgess Meredith, I really like what he does with her. It's just that I don't really enjoy it so much. Yeah. It's a fine line. <laughs> See, even after the Danny DeVito, I still associate the Penguin with the Burgess Meredith laugh. The, uh, rah, 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 rah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and just his general audio cues. He's, yeah. <laughs> It's very penguinish. Yeah. He, he nails the, the personification of the penguin, cluck, I think. Cluck, cluck. Whenever they're in the middle of a run of Batman movies, there's always those news stories about the celebrities that will be playing the villain in the next movie, even though it's never really accurate in any possible way. Uh, but there was always rumours of the penguin in the next, I guess, Nolan film being played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh. And that always sounded really appealing to me. I'd love to have seen that. Because I think he would have done the Burgess Meredith style. Yeah. <laughs> That's one for the ages, really. He might have we'll never gone Heath Ledger with it and just created something totally different, though. Yeah. I mean, I don't that know if it was ever really going to happen, but wouldn't that have been great that if it did? That would have been great. Philip Seymour Hoffman's so good. Yeah. Absolutely the best. Uh, but we do have Burgess Meredith. We're stuck with Burgess <laughs> Meredith, the iconic actor playing the Penguin. He played the Penguin in these two episodes. So we've got the episodes, Fine Finny Fiends and Batman Makes the Scenes. 
Fine Finny Fiends aired 4th of May 1966, and then we do have the season finale, Batman Makes the Scenes on the 5th of May 1966. What a time. It was a glorious time to be a Batman. Now, we should note as well that straight after this happened in early June, there was a Batman feature film. And we've all seen the Batman movie, I'm sure. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's been a while, but yeah. Yeah. So this is the one based off the TV show and that went to air during June. Now, we're not airing that straight away on SBS Viceland this week, so you're going to have to wait a little while for it. But just quietly, I can advise you, it is on the schedule coming pretty soon. Okay, I don't know if we're allowed to say when. Probably should have checked that before you start recording. Well, maybe, but, you know, our channel manager's away at the moment. <laughs> I think you just make Let's up a date. Let's break some news. Yeah. Just throw a date out there. Nobody know, Nobody Look, cares. I don't know, but let me just say that there is maybe a gift that you may receive towards the end of the month of December. Is there going to be a DVD giveaway? Uh, no. Do people still have DVDs? I have DVDs. Crazy. Nick Vassine, as has been the case with, I think, pretty much every episode this season... I can't track what's going on. So could you please do the honours and let us know what the heck happened? Um, I can assure you that I know even less what happened. But um, well, here's you're the synopsis. Man for this one. Uh, so Alfred goes into a fish store and gets gassed, trying to pick out some caviar. 20 pounds at least, my good man. The police suspect the penguin because they find an umbrella but refuse to do anything about it and call Batman. Any ordinary crook the department can handle but when it comes to the likes of the penguin... Penguin hypnotizes Alfred into telling him the location of the multimillionaire's dinner. Precisely. Alfred comes home with a twitch, starts putting fish hooks and canapes, nearly maiming Wayne Manor guests. Is anything the matter, sir? Batman and Robin figure out it's the penguin's work and rush to confront him. You may as well give yourself up, penguin. Of course, they're easily captured and tied up. The two of you will be finished. But instead of stabbing them with umbrellas or just shooting them with guns, Penguin and his gang try to murder them by sucking the air out of the room extremely slowly. They're still breathing. Batman saves himself with some bat oxygen. The emergency tank of bat oxygen right here in my utility belt. Leaving Robin to get brain damage. Wake up, Robin. After hypnotized Alfred tells Penguin the location of the dinner, he and his gang straight up gas the beauty queen. <laughs> and plant their own foxy mole inside a party cake. Oh, yes, of course, the giant cake. The fake beauty queen pops out of the cake at the rich guy creep fest, and they throw cash at her like it's a strip show, even though this is a children's program. Very strange. So she gasses them, and Penguin takes all their money. I'm rich. I can bribe. I can borrow. I can steal. But Batman and Robin pop out of a safe and beat the hell out of the Penguin and his gang. The wayward woman is going to jail, but she's allowed to attend a party. I'm so happy to be here. And as Bruce Wayne helps her with her... Her coat, he gives her a good look up and down like a complete reprobate. Now, Nick, you mentioned through there that Robin received some brain damage as a result of this. Is this maybe chronologically the first episode of the Batman series? Possibly. This is like how Robin got so stupid. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't understand how somebody could get gassed so many times, be deprived of oxygen and still uh, maintain a coherent thought. I don't know how Batman, the world's smartest man, he's gifted, he's talented, he's incredibly handsome. I don't know what he's doing with Dick Grayson slash Robin. Have yeah. we demonstrated that Batman is the world's smartest man? That, that's a new one. Well, we don't need to demonstrate it. The show is proof positive. He's a Fiona. scientist. He is? He's a detective. He's a philanthropist. Scientist, detective, gymnast. That Batman, such a wonderful I challenge you to know more about ancient <laughs> and Egypt. And sexist, the way he holds these millionaire parties yes, with well, the ladies in the bathing that, suits. Yeah, I mean, he's also, yeah, he's running some sort of cabal. Some it all sort gets of a bit eyes wide shut. Eyes is wide shut, mm-hmm. bacchanal, where 
rich dudes are just making it rain. That was from the little scene Batman After Dark series. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So let's maybe take a look at the very beginning of the episode where Alfred rocks up. He's shopping for 20 pounds of cut-rate caviar. He's got a voucher. <laughs> so this Sorry, is how... was the voucher giving him the 20% off? It was, no, it was a flyer alerting to this bargain, gotcha. this cut-rate caviar is the sign. I mean, cut rate I'm, all, means, I'm all for bargain, but... Cut-rate means cheap. Yeah. I think in this context, yeah. And quality, I would think. But and he's got a voucher. <laughs> And, and he, he wants 20 gassed. pounds of it, which equates to nine kilos of caviar because a pound a person. Who's eating a pound of caviar? A of There's caviar. a lot of millionaires to look after at the party. I don't know. Something smells and it's not last week's mackerel. Something's fishy, all right. Now, at first I was looking at this and I'm like, geez, Alfred Pennyworth, you're working for a millionaire. Bruce Wayne, mm. he's got the cash, but then I realise you don't stay a millionaire if you're spending true. full price on caviar. Some That's of the millionaires right. are the biggest cheapskates, so, yeah, maybe it does check out. Yeah, but then that got me thinking, what else is cut price in the Batcave? Like, is he <laughs> skimping across the board everywhere? Like, people's lives depend on this equipment. Is he also picking up the champagne and uh, is he going around making stops at every store yeah. to buy everything for this party? I presume yeah. so, in some okay, sort of cut district. Correct. So he's where I think the episode has a bit of a fatal flaw because the whole point is they kidnap Alfred to find out where this party's going to be. But if Alfred's ordering things everywhere, he's not taking home nine kilos of caviar himself. Like, he, wouldn't he just be giving the delivery address? Yeah, I think that's normally what would happen at a multi-millionaire party. Unless he's getting everything delivered to stately Wayne Manor. And then from there it's he's making yeah. the trips in the Batmobile. Or he's, you know, he's got one of those big nets that he puts on his back like okay. in the Grinch that stole Christmas. Did anyone catch why it's a secret? So is it a secret from the millionaires that they all turn up to a surprise venue or is it a secret from the world? Because if everyone knew where the millionaires were going to be, then someone like the Penguin might rock up to cause some mischief. I think it's a little from column A, a little from column B. The location is kept secret to avoid publicity. This is the second episode in a row that Bruce is the one to answer the phone instead of Alfred. Obviously, Alfred is otherwise indisposed at this it's point. Fine caviar. Yeah, he was interrupted from teaching Dick some Latin verbs. Dick, I'm afraid you better put your... Latin verbs aside for the nonce. Yeah, which Dick has a hard time with. Yeah, well, it's Dick Grayson. Naturally. Yes, Commissioner, what is it? Commissioner Gordon speaks to Bruce Wayne. Yes, Commissioner. Then he speaks to Batman. He to Bruce Wayne. Then he speaks well, to Bruce Wayne again. He does not put it together that this guy sounds a little bit similar. Well, he's got a slightly different voice, but every time that he calls and Alfred is the same person's answer, yeah. both Bruce Wayne and Batman's Come phone. on. I mean, we give a lot, we give uh, Chief O'Hara a lot of crap for being dumb. Commissioner Gordon is not that sharp. Mm. Mm -mm. And as the series gone on, there's been a few moments where O'Hara has actually stepped up to the plate. Yeah, he's and trying. It's increasingly seeming like Gotham's is maybe Commissioner Gordon's letting the city down. <laughs> yeah, 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 he's the problem. <laughs> where you failed, Robin and I may succeed. Uh, next, we see a really cool camera shot as the Batmobile leaves the Batcave. We've never seen it from the POV of the Batmobile before. And I thought that was kind of cool. Usually it's the same insert shot of the Batmobile leaving the cave and going past the Gotham 14 miles sign. But this was actually kind of a bit of a visual bit of flourish. You don't forget a thing like that? Well, I did not. Uh, the next scene takes us to the Gotham City waterfront. Mm. And this stuck out at me because I have watched the movie recently. On the waterfront? On the waterfront. So Brando, I don't, you call him in the next scene? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, we're here on the waterfront and I feel like maybe it's some of the sets from the movie because there's a lot of waterfront action in the movie. Oh, yeah. That's where he's running with the bomb, isn't it? At yeah. At the waterfront. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it might have been that same set from a different angle possibly. 
But yeah, it just kind of stuck out at me. It was a bit unusual to see a set like that sort of right up against the movie. Well, if you build a set like that, you need to get bang for your buck. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like the naming of the two henchmen. Everything ready? All set, boss. We've got Octopus and Shark. I thought Octopus looked a lot like uh, Billy Zane. I thought the same thing. Yes. It's uncanny. I thought it's great to see Billy Zane working again. <laughs> Would Billy Zane have been born by this point? Maybe just Billy Zane is timeless. Yeah. Yeah, he was always born. Incredible. Haven't you seen Orlando? (laughs) I actually haven't. Is that a good movie? It is a good movie. It's very sensual from what I gathered from the cover art. delights. Worth noting we've got Julie Gregg in this episode. What do you think, Penguin Poopsie? So she's the Penguin's Mole. She's also Miss Natural Resources. Some of us know her by her birth name, Beverly Scalzo. Really? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You knew that before we I started did. this one? I yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, people probably know her a little bit better from being in the Godfather movies. Uh, she was in the first one as Sandra Corleone. So she was the wife of Sonny Corleone. Mm. Oh, nice. Yeah. Because you'd remember her from that. Now, yeah. when you see the Batman movie, she also makes an appearance in that. She plays a different character, presumably, and she's a nightclub singer. So you can catch her in the scene right before Batman goes on the date with Ms. Kitka. It's, it's important not to confuse Julie Gregg with the American cyclist as well. It's highly important. <laughs> uh, there was a little bit of trivia for Batman fans where there's that great scene with Alfred and Batman in the Batcave. Batman turns on the machines to try to jog Alfred's memory and he shows him the photos of all the criminals. Alfred, mm-hmm. would you like to look at some photographs to see if you recognise some people? Photos? Oh, that is sir. Where you've got a shark and octopus both wearing the exact same shirts they're still wearing. Mm. So I don't know if they're multiple shirts or if that's just their MO that they've been known for for years. Uh, but there's a couple of photos at the beginning of other criminals and the other criminals are actually photographs of the executive producers of the show. Um, so you've got William Dozier, who you hear on every episode as the narrator. Until tomorrow night, same time, same channel. And then also you've got Howie Horwitz. Now, what's great is that when Alfred is commenting on them, he refers to them both as being sort of criminal types, you know, the sort uh, of people you don't trust. Yeah, so nice, a nice little joke there. Yeah, very much so. Now... When you're crossing the road, you should look both ways. That's very important. Very good advice. Uh, Batman and Robin, not quite doing that because they almost get skittled by a car. Do you think that that actually almost happened like when they bumped into each other on the way to the bat poles? In last week's episode? Yeah. (laughs) I'd like to think it was just a random car going past on the set. Whoa. Yeah. But yeah, that was a good lesson that we did learn. Remember, Robin, always look both ways. I mean, one of my major takeaways from the whole season, and especially from this episode, it seemed like it, it crescendoed with this episode, is just how egregious and flamboyant in this episode the sexism is. Oh, thank you for noticing. Yes. I mean, I'm glad it we is got to this. Out of control. This part, this eyes wide shut party they have. Now, we, I, we do need to break this down a little bit. So there's women in swimsuits at the party for no reason. Even though it's there, it's for a charity. It is for a charity, and all the millionaires are gathering, and they're going to. So all the male millionaires. Well, yeah, yeah, they're going to gather, and they're going to pick a charity personified by a woman in a bathing suit. Oh man! Who will get into a cake, burst out of said cake at the right time, and all the millionaires are going to throw money at her. Literally throw money they- at this woman who symbolises a charity. And I, I think some of the money hit her in the eye. Well, I was just thinking, thankfully, they're all throwing notes at the very least. You can see in her face the 
deep pain of decades of uh, sexism and it's just terrible. And there is a switch that takes place with Miss Natural Resources because at the dress rehearsal, the pervy dress rehearsal, there is one Miss Natural Resources and then, of course, Miss Julie Gregg is swapped out. She takes the place of said Miss Natural Resources. Right. No one notices. No. They're not in masks. It's no one notices that, hang on, that's not the same Miss Natural Resources. Just saying. We're also giving the short shrift here to Miss Civil Rights. I, I'm glad you brought that up too, <laughs> yes, because she does decline canapes because she's watching her figure, but, yeah. Yeah. Miss Civil Rights. Uh, the actress who played Miss Civil Rights, uh, she was played by Anne Reese. She has three Hollywood credits. Uh, she appeared twice in various Batman-related productions. She was in this. She also played a character called Bikini Girl. And she was also a dancer in the movie Don't Make Waves. Mm. Can we track when a woman jumping out of a cake stopped being an acceptable uh, form of celebration? <laughs> when would that have been? Did it happen in Bachelor Party in the 80s in the Tom Hanks movie? <laughs> it's definitely been in my lifetime. Yeah. I remember at some point where it was acceptable for well, this to there happen. Is, there is a good joke in Arrested Development, the program, the, where yes. uh, the, um, yes, that's Joe right. Bluth's Bachelor Party, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, you certainly <laughs> don't see it anymore. Narc- narc- no, no, it's I horrifying. I haven't seen it in such a long time on screen in a, yeah. in a movie or a TV show. I was I really <laughs> confronted. No, it's terrible. <laughs> I'm a bit confused by Miss Natural Resources in that she's been practicing to come out of the cake because she's never come out of a cake before. You may come out now, young lady. It's always good to check. Hey, worth noting, just one of those sexist millionaires we were talking about, uh, just for another cast thing, which I thought was just kind of half interesting, uh, the guy who puts in that really weird performance where he's got the hat, it's like he's dressing as like a Barnacle Bills. Well, it looks like the skipper captain. from Gilligan's Island. Yeah, yes. So, yeah, I thought it was that guy from <laughs> Gilligan's Island. It is, is not, it not? It is not no. Alan Hale. Uh, this is a guy named Bill Williams. No, no relation. He's not really notable himself. He was the husband of Barbara Hale from Perry Mason. Uh, but their son was William Cat, who was the greatest American hero. Not, That's a nice little handing down of the uh, superhero. It is. And when you look at Bill Williams in the face, like he looks like William Cat, like they're almost identical. In line with the uh, the sexism um, theme that is kind of spread throughout uh, the season, uh, she's once again a wayward, she's the wayward woman. She turned to crime. She's the one, only one with a conscience. She feels bad stealing money from a charity and she's condemned and um, an object of sexual aggression, which is an important lesson for children, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I do like she's full of remorse and she's on her way to jail. But first, stop off and have a little uh, appetite for yeah, the party. Yeah, come to the party. <laughs> Are you going to jail? Come to the party. Come to the, stop off at the party first. Show your face. Isn't this a lovely party? Yes, isn't it? I want to give props to a couple of people in this episode. First of all, to Bruce Wayne for just looking as hip as he does when he's on his way to see the stockbroker. Like, he was the man of the 60s. Very cool swinging cat. Three tones of brown suit. Absolutely. I could not have been more in love with Adam West, Bruce Wayne at that point. Sharp. Big props to the Penguin for when there's the scheme at the end of part one, before we see the same Batman time, same Batman channel, he actually sticks around to see Batman and Robin die by his hand which usually the criminals just set up the scheme and then leave the room to go and do something else. At last, I have defeated the dynamic duo. It's still, it's like a, it's a five-hour process or something. I'm just going to wait this out. Oxygen's coming out of that room any minute now. But he stuck around and... Well, he could have stuck that. around a couple more minutes and... But they were already dead. He had to set an alibi. But were they, though? Or he oh. could have just cut them from here <laughs> to here. 
Sorry, I don't understand. How would that kill them? When you could just trip away the oxygen from the room in a highly yeah, elaborate yeah, scheme. Oh, you're right, you're right. Well, I, I do want <laughs> to say this planet. is the man that uses umbrellas as a trap. And I'm sorry, anyone who has been caught in a rainstorm in a stiff breeze knows how crap umbrellas are and you can easily True or collapse false. them. Alfred was caught in an umbrella at the beginning, kidnapped successfully. Correct. Well, yeah, I know. Oh, no, the umbrella's collapsing. <laughs> I'm stuck forever. I love it. What's the meaning of this? I also need to point out that in last uh, week's Batman Land episode, Benjamin Law, celebrated author, posited that Alfred is gay. And in this episode, he gets totes cock-blocked by Aunt Harriet with two uh, honeys on his arm. Alfred! Well, maybe he's bi. All right. Fiona looks thoroughly uncomfortable at this line of I'm conversation. I'm fine. I, sorry, totes cock blocks a, with two honeys on his arm. I, I, that's how they describe it on the show. Yeah. I really like that the episode ends with a cocktail party. This is the season finale. And, you know, presumably they knew they were coming back for a new season. They did have a big budget film coming out in a few weeks' time. So things were looking rosy for the program. But it just sort of seemed like a nice celebratory way to end a season with everyone at this nice cocktail party at Stately Wayne Mara. <laughs> It was very nice. Yeah. It was just a bit of a nice way to wrap up the episode. Here's cheers to that. Okay, now usually at this point we'd be talking to our guest about who their Batman is, but we're not doing that. Instead, we're just going to discuss maybe the season that was. Now, I thought there were quite a few episodes that stood out as me as being like the premiere episodes of season one. And particularly, there were a few moments as well that really stood out. But before I sort of rattle off mine, uh, Nick, was there any sort of moments or episodes that stood out to you as being particularly sterling, Batman? So this show has a lot of things to a lot of people. On a legitimately entertaining level, my favorite moments are when Adam West is launching into some thought, some deep lesson that he's uh, imparting onto um, Robin, and then he's dramatically cut off by some other action. So last week it was, uh, if only more young people would, helicopter noise. Those moments, because he's so serious and his delivery is so good, I mean, those are those are hilarious. So I legitimately love that stuff. Yeah, his sermons really are what I think makes the show work. It's very funny. What about you, Fiona? Were there Catwoman. Oh, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> love the Catwoman. Love the Catwoman. Like, that was a great episode. Julie Newmar only had the one episode as Catwoman this season. And yeah, I think she delivered. Like, mm. it was a great two-parter. You know, you've got your penguins and your jokers and whatnot, but Catwoman really stands out in this series, I think. And that, that episode where she's really toying with Batman and he, he has to face off against tigers. Come on. That's Come right. On. He, he fought an actual live tiger at the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. So for that alone, that gets my vote as the best one of this series. Yeah, no, I'd have to agree. I think that's definitely one of the absolute standout episodes. Uh, there were a couple for me that there were a few moments I really liked. Uh, there was an otherwise not so great Joker episode, but we saw this great scene with Robin going undercover as a 1960s style greaser. And he's trying to look like he's a cool guy, can smoke cigarettes and things did not go so well for him. He was a hep cat. He was a very hep cat. But I love that moment. I loved an episode just a couple of weeks ago with the bookworm episode where Batman and Robin get trapped in a giant cookbook called The Joy of Cooking. <laughs> I mean, that episode, like as a whole, the bookworm episode stood out as being the best for the season as far as I was concerned. But like that cookbook scene. Why do you like that one more than the others? That episode. Other-ers. The other 
that episode stood out just because it seemed like the writer, because I think it was his first time on the show, he just seems to give the characters all these great moments and like Batman particularly. So the moments where he gives those big sort of sermons and just like those great dialogue, like quirks of dialogue that he can have, it just seemed like the episode went out of its way just to offer scene after scene where he was able to do that. That was the episode where he was casting his mind back into his bat mind and he was searching for the information in his head. Yeah. Like it was just great little moments like that. He had a bat zooker at one point. Yeah. There's a giant <laughs> cookbook that he's um, yeah, dealing yeah. with. It's the episode we find out what happens to the parachutes after the Batmobile has oh, to make a right. quick turnaround. There's a van that cleans them up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it just good. seemed like everything you kind of want to see in a Batman episode was in that two-parter. It was an FAQ. Yeah, fans. absolutely. Like if I was going to point out any episode to like a newbie, like that'd be the one. If you're going to watch just two episodes, go for that. And it was a bit weird because it wasn't like a regular villain. So it was Roddy McDowell's The Bookworm. And so it's not like you can say, hey, here's that great Joker episode, but rather you're just pointing out this obscure villain. Yeah. Yeah. But besides that, like, it was just such a good two-parter. Are there any lessons or things that you've learned about Batman throughout the course of the series? I know you've got a few, Nick. Well, I haven't seen this show in a very long time. Like a lot of people, I grew up with it. And as a child, I idolized this show as a curiosity and as an entertainment. I was most impressed with all of the um, super creepy stuff that goes on in what is supposed to be a kid's show. So the way the women criminals are treated, I, I just couldn't believe what I was watching and how <laughs> it happens every time. Well, like um, even in this episode, like we see the, the pretty face never goes to prison, really. The ladies always get off lighter. They get off lighter, but they're they're kind of pitied and lectured, mm. and um, and they also still kind of horny at the end for Batman. <laughs> the, they're the only human. In. Well, I'm um, yeah. They get mansplained as to uh, their criminal oh, origins. Man, it is know. oppressive, I and know. but you got to view it through a pre-feminism lens. I mean, this is '66. But we it's a kids' quite... show, also. Yeah. And I've had this problem with other like Disney movies that have racism in it. And mm. why would you throw that in there? Let's just have a little fun for God's sake. Um, also a man in his late thirties hanging out with a teenager and who te- frequently takes him on fishing trips, double dates, not at all suspicious, just seems totally normal and fine. Um, and there are only maybe four or five people of color in Gotham City from, from my count. Yeah. That's a generous count, I think. <laughs> Yeah, it might have just been three. <laughs> I think I've counted four so far. Okay, let's it's, go with it's four. It's very few. <laughs> Round it down. Well, it happens so infrequently that you really do notice it throughout That's the true. show. That's true. Uh, Fiona, is there anything that you particularly took away from watching Batman throughout this first season? Well, um, I too, I watched it many, many years ago first, but I guess it just really speaks to the genius of Adam West and, you know, Having lost him earlier this year, he really was great. And I think revisiting this series has been such a treat and it really speaks to his fantastic portrayal of the Cape Crusader, I think. And I watched it originally many, many years ago. He had faded in my memory of the Batman in light of all the movies and whatnot. I mean, he was very funny in the Simpsons um, cameo yeah. that he did. But but honestly, having the time to go back and revisit this, it just, he's, he's my Batman. I just have to say that in the last episode, Benjamin Law, acclaimed writer, <laughs> he made a point in terms of uh, differentiating between the Batman that I found more convincing than normal about how people, how Adam West and Michael Keaton, they delivered more fun Mm. with Batman. And now, obviously, Batman is zero fun, zero laughs. He's a buzzkill now. He's a super buzzkill. So is Superman. Oh, it all is. They've 
Suck the fun right out of them. And so I, I just gained a little bit of an appreciation. The way he explained it was very, it was very good. And again, an appreciation for Adam West and the, what mm. they do with the character. Yeah, I'm just always taken by the fact that Adam West seems to give a performance that's better than what was really sort of asked of him. Yeah. Week in, week out, he comes in and delivers. There's always one or two scenes in it where you just sort of sit back and go, he has really thought this through. Like there is just something about his delivery where he is giving his all to a show where from everything you hear about Adam West and the behind the scenes antics of the program, the actual performances on the show would like not even the top consideration for what they were up to. It sounds like there's a lot of shenanigans happening behind the scenes. But even so, he's still there and there's just like these little moments of performance where you're blown away at how funny he is and how much he has complete control of what's going on around him. Have you seen interviews or read interviews? Or I imagine Adam West showing up on set, reading the script and thinking, you, you want me to say this stuff? More like that's what I'd always sort of assumed was the case. But you see some of the performances he gives here and I don't know how long they're spending like shooting and reshooting scenes. But there's just moments where you kind of think, no, he is completely across this and knows what he wants to do when he gets on stage. Yeah, he's totally committed and he's totally bought in. It's not the first time he's tried those lines, I don't think. Yeah, he's he's rehearsed them, I think. And then you look at the rest of the cast. I mean, Burt Ward, I mean, he's Burt Ward. He's a young actor of whom, you know, he's not a particularly strong actor. I'll tell you what. I like him, but it's I watched the the audition video of him doing um, karate moves and everything. (laughs) It's great. I gained a new appreciation for Burt Ward. <laughs> well, I like Burt Ward, but he's not the greatest of actors. And you see him against Adam West at times, and he doesn't really quite meet the grade being set. But then also you look at other actors in scenes. So like he's up against, you know, like you got the older actors sort of playing Commissioner Gordon and he doesn't really quite deliver sort of, sort of like Neil Hamilton just is not as good as Adam West by any means. And stuff like, like it just doesn't quite seem to meet the West standard. Do you think that the other characters should have adopted Adam West's Leslie Nielsen style over I think sincerity. it's all the stronger because they don't. I think, okay. yeah, mm. no one else is doing Leslie Nielsen in The Naked Gun either. I think, it, yeah, he elevates yes. the scene yeah, yeah. because he's doing that. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Uh, there were a couple of things that I took away. So in the very first episode of Batman Land, we had John Bohm, who's the SBS Viceland channel manager. Never heard of him. Um, yeah, he's he's around. But he was on the show and he was explaining that the reason why he bought Batman as a show to broadcast on the channel is he really liked the way that the show actually promoted good citizenship. Mm. So because yeah. it's SBS, like there have to be reasons beyond just being blatantly entertaining. He was looking for something sort of that existed within the text. And he's like, you know what? There are so many good messages about how to be a good person. And so that's something I've really been actively looking at throughout the course of the series. And it's absolutely true. I think that completely exists within that. And there's even a scene in this final episode we've watched of the first season where he advises Robin that not attending the dinner they're going to would be a breach of good manners. <laughs> and it's just little moments like that and you hear it and it's like, well, no, he really is just being a good citizen. But I think it's more than that. It's not just being a good citizen. It's just being a good person. So I mean, he's being a good citizen here. Last week we saw him teaching Robin the benefits of really good dental hygiene. Yeah, it's being able to teach those kinds of lessons while also gassing a woman and taking her back to your cave so you can extract information from her. Which was a very awkward thing in last week's episode. <laughs> Incredibly awkward. Maybe the biggest lesson of takeaway from the first season is the idea that, and I may have said this before on the show, I'm not too sure, but I kind of feel that everyone's humoring Bruce Wayne and everyone in Gotham knows that he's Batman except Commissioner Gordon <laughs> and Chief O'Hara. Those two guys are completely clueless. But everyone else knows that Bruce Wayne's just an eccentric millionaire and I don't think the villains are even doing villainous acts. I think they're there purely just to give 
Bruce Wayne something to do. He's probably on the payroll from Alfred. Well, that would explain why no one, while they've allegedly killed them or they've got them on a rope, no one bothers to lift up the cowl to see the identity. You're saying they already know why bother. Exactly. And I'm sure they're on Alfred's payroll because this is why he's cutting, (laughs) like he's getting cheap caviar. Because he needs to be able to pay all these villains and various characters in the lives of Batman and Robin. Even though the villains they are ostensibly uh, arrested and put in prison at the end of these episodes, they're just kind of out again. Yeah, there's a revolving door. Is the Riddler again? Didn't we put him in prison? I, I don't know. That's because Batman, to his very core, he believes in rehabilitation. So he, That's true. You know, he doesn't put them away forever. He thinks they've served their time back on the streets and, ugh, what, again? Back you go. See you next but time. Attempted murder would get you a fair amount of time, I would think. And that's a lot of what happens on this show. Straight up attempted murder. It's a children's show. Okay, so guys, this is the end of Batman Land for season one. Season two kicks off next week, so <laughs> you know, stick around. It's all going to be fine. See you later. Hi. I've really enjoyed this season. There's definitely even high points and a couple of low points. Zelda the Great. Uh, <laughs> but by and large, like I've definitely enjoyed watching the show week in, week out. To me, it's less about enjoying the show than enjoying the friendships that we've developed <laughs> in this studio. Special times. Oh, God, this is awkward. Oh, you think it's more about the show? Mostly about the show. Oh, well, all right. well, I have enjoyed the show very much. I mean, it's, it's been a hell of a trip down memory lane and connecting with the nostalgia and just watching a TV show in the 60s is fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Like the show itself and the work relationships I've strengthened. <laughs> Fiona? Yeah, it's true. And um, just having the opportunity to take a deeper dive and really unpack a lot of these episodes because there's a lot in there. It's a lot. Young and old, boys yeah. and gals. Yeah. Especially the girls. A lot of important messages for young <laughs> young women out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so reiterating, after this season, they did have the movie, which you'll see on SBS Viceland in a short time period. Next week, we'll be back with the kickoff for season two. I'm really looking forward to that one. If you like the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platforms of choice. It helps other people find the show and would greatly appreciate that. If you want to talk about Batman with people on the Twitters or Facebook, Use the hashtag BatmanLand. Helps people find the show. Fiona, Nick, thank you very much for being part of season one. And I'm looking forward to talking to you probably after we leave this. And, you know, it'll be a season two. Catch you in the corridor. But I'll see you in real life as well. It'll be fine. Strengthen those work relationships. It's been real. It's been totally real. Uh, Very big thanks to Jeremy Wilmot, who's uh, often uncredited producer on the show. But he doesn't really do that much. I mean, he's not even here right now, but usually he is here and he does a sterling job. All the great sound bites that you hear throughout the show, he's the guy that drops that in here and he spends a lot of time crafting this podcast. (laughs) Jeremy just did that one. Uh, But yeah, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week with more Batman Land. Same Batman Land time, same Batman Land channel. And we're out. We are out. Hooray.